Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestralProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm dead. Join me today, we have Birdie. Konnichiwa. Fucking weeb. Still looking for that third chair, but the hunt is still on but as cars drive by my fucking house. Ikimashita. Bakagaijin. Kanasajin. I got gaijin. But I thought you might find that offensive, so I just called you what you are. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I don't know really any way to lead into this. Birdie, you enticed me with some shit you were going to be talking about this week. Yeah, but that's going to have to... I'm saving that for last because I have some other stuff I want to talk about and I want that to be the icing. Oh, good. All right, so let's get the thing I have the least to say about out of the worst out of the way first. City. Just city? Yeah, city. The only other thing of note about it is that it's made by the guy who made Nietzsche Joe. Okay. Not trying to feel about that. A comedy four coma style manga about idiots being idiots. Okay. From what I understand, that's kind of like Nietzsche Joe. (laughs) I've never seen Nietzsche Joe, but that's what I'm told it's like. So yeah, like I've watched Nietzsche Joe, um, didn't read it, so I don't know how. So I don't know if like there's anything, any kind of like comedy changeover from animated to non. But from I remember Ichi Joe, it was less about idiots and more about as like kind of regular but a bit clumsy people as just insane shit happens to them. Um, like th- like there's a bit where a priest puts where like, not a priest a teacher puts on a bulletproof vest and German suplexes a deer. No, nothing like that happens. There's the occasional weird stuff like um, a girl praying to her um, sandwich points card. Yeah, that seems pretty neat to Joe. And then there's the time um, a police officer is arrested by the community he's in because an old lady asked him to throw out some shit that was too heavy for her to carry. And the original owner came and said, hey, that's my stuff, you thief. At which point, the old lady showed up and said, yeah, I'm seizing all this from you because you haven't paid your rent in six months. Okay. Yeah. Again, I read this because it was a dollar and because I I have heard good things about Nietzsche Joe. This this style of comedy may not be for me. Like, there's an extended scene of two characters talking about photographing celery for like a photo contest. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not exactly contributing a lot to this. I just don't really have anything to say. I mean, I don't. I don't really have much to say either, because like. That's why I wanted to start with this because when you when your whole thing is it's a comedy that to you is not really funny, you're just you're left like you're I'm left the way you're left. So, uh, uh, okay, 
Yeah, like Nietzsche Joe. is a series, again, anime, not the manga, that I can recommend to people, but I have a hard time describing. That might be part of the problem because a lot of the stuff is so wacky; it's hard to talk about. But yeah, like if, if you just like if you just like with with some series, you could say like, "Oh yeah, there was the fuck with this scene there." But with with Nietzsche Joe, you say, "Oh yeah, there's a fucking scene where a girl tries to catch a fucking like octopus noodle with her chopsticks and she fucks up." Like that's a great scene from the anime. Hard to sell with that scene. Yeah. So maybe I'd have to watch an anime. I've seen clips of Nietzsche Joe, but I've never watched it. So I have no real basis for understanding. Yeah, what's going Nietzsche on. Joe. If if you're not into it, it's just it's just like a really solidly well animated gag comedy series. Nothing okay. real heavy in it, but it looks and animates really well. All right. Um, so moving on, because that's not a great tone to stay on for very long. <laughs> um, There's a lot of dead air and like going, okay, yeah. <laughs> so um, my continued hatred of, uh, what's it called? Um, Megalobox keeps coming up because I keep finding stuff that does what Megalobox claims to do better. And what was it this that time? That does it better. Uh, a soccer manga called Giant Killing. Yeah, okay. I've seen that one kicking Badum Tish around. <laughs> and with my okay. and with my like more recent interest in sports things, given something I'll be talking about later, as well as the rest of what we've talked about. I've been meaning to look into that. Okay. So, uh, this is a, as far as I know, still ongoing manga uh, in Japan. It's been, it must have, it must be going on for a while because it had a 26 episode anime eight years ago. <laughs> wow. I, I remember seeing Giant Killing when it was originally like announced, but I, like I saw, like, I think I saw like a solicitation for it or something. But I eight yeah, years it apparently ago. started airing April twenty ten is when it said the manga was the anime was released. Jesus um, Christ! Because that's about when you started the site, I think. Yeah, August twenty ten. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The the manga has been coming out since two thousand seven. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Um. The prim- the giant the, the term giant killing is in reference to uh, the main character Tatsumi Takeshi, who is the coach slash manager of a failing uh, so- professional soccer team in Japan. Uh, his preferred method and un- and approach to managing and coaching teams for matches because he likes the idea of a team no one believes in that's losing for most of the game coming back and having an upset in the last half or the last 30 minutes or even the last minute hence giant killing okay yeah and uh when we first meet him he is actually in England coaching a failing british team who hired him 
but he's being called back by associates of the team he used to play for when he was an actual active professional soccer player because their team has not only had failing years for several years, but has not actually been able to pay its dues. So this is kind of the last season they can afford to keep going unless they up their, uh, in their, 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 uh, financial share, I suppose. I don't know how to describe it. You got to win more to get that money in order to pay rent. Yeah. So he's brought back, uh, he brings in some new characters that he's training, uh, he has to try to work within uh, the existing framework of the of the players that were already playing before he came back, who kind of resent him because a lot. Um, the current captain of the team, when he first comes in, um, he doesn't much like uh, to to catch Tatsumi because he, he was on the team that Tatsumi was on when they were going to like the nationals and the Olympics, and when he left, they apparently the team apparently went to shit. <laughs> And so this guy's been trying to hold the team together. Um, Murakoshi, that's his name. Um, he's This guy's been trying to hold the team together in his absence, and he kind of resents the guy coming back and just doing whatever he wants. Then <laughs> we have, like, a, other, other memorable characters, like a half-Italian, half-Japanese guy who calls himself the Prince. Because he not only thinks he's the best at the game, but that, like, at a certain point he gets tired of playing and just stops. <laughs> Does he actually have, like, Prince gear? No, no. Although I think he actually at one point enters, like, a professional game with a cape on. I think. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Surprised he didn't come out one of those, like, palindrome things. Yeah. But okay, um... That's so what called, it, right? it palanquins, that's what they are. Pa- yeah, palanquin. Yeah, the thing that people carry you on. Yeah, palindrome um, is words that are saying backwards. That's forwards. a word. Yeah. Um, I write for a living, kind of. Maybe. Um, <laughs> so when Tatsumi first comes back, he has a pretty uh, using his tactics. He has a pretty good uh, scrimmage match against one of the higher ranking teams in the Japanese league. Uh, so everyone's kind of hyped, thinks they think everything will work out. And this is why I love this as an underdog story and why it makes me matter at Megalobox. After that like first little boost of enthusiasm, they lose for the next 50 chapters. <laughs> I think they lose specifically like five games in a row before they win again once the season starts. But like for a good 40, 50 chapters, they never win. Well, that's yeah. That's that's the that's the thing you gotta do with all, with all these other series. It's like, hey, this team has potential, but they've been doing dog shit for fucking ever. They don't just instantly get better overnight. Yeah, which Megalobox doesn't get because for some reason, an underdog story is proud of the fact that the last thing it shows is that a character who everyone considers an underdog was undefeated and sustained no serious injuries in a fight with cyborg robot boxers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just flashing back to Haikyuu and every time they've had to do punishment drills for for losing a fucking practice match. Yep. Just I think they I think over the course of the series they've played like 
over a hundred practice matches and have won like five of them. Yeah. And not against like fucking just like shitbag teams, against like fucking schools that are considered powerhouses. Yeah. But whereas there's other characters that um I think there's a younger player uh who's I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who's one of the new characters that came in for the first year, the the time um at the same time Tatsumi started as the coach. And like they're talking about how he's developed as a character and you show clear development where like he's so he has talent and he has abilities, but he's so scared of like failing and like disappointing the team that he'll get kicked back out of the that he won't get to play in professional games anymore until the captain at one point just kind of casually says, is that why you want to play this? Like, why do you want to play this? And he has trouble trying to figure out what that means until at one point he has an awesome moment where he dashes not only past every defender, but jumps over a guy trying to trip him. <laughs> and, like, scores one of the, a, like a head, I think it's like a headshot goal into the corner past the goalie. At which point, he's like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Might not get this joke, but is there a Neymar yet? Uh, you talk about, like, uh, like one dominant character who takes over everything? No, I'm talking about one character who gets the slightest injury and then sells it like he just got fucking kicked in the dick. They have done that a couple of times. Like, they've made fun of the fact that, like, certain soccer players will play up foul injuries or overplay when they get tripped or something. No, nothing to the extent of, like, there's one asshole who everyone knows is going to do it yet, but um, yeah, it's happened a couple of times. Yeah, there's one guy, Neymar, who's, like, the internet's kind of blown up with over the last couple months. Where's the gif going around of, like, op- opposing team member just kind of, like, taps him on the chest, like, hey, man, good job, go out there. And he just starts going, like, oh, oh God, like he's having a heart attack. Yeah, I'm familiar with I've I've seen that meme around, and I've heard of the car- the player. I guess he's tired of biting people. <laughs> Or maybe his uh, managers got tired of inviting people. But anyway, um, so the main, uh, the but the main draw of the series, character-wise, is the coach Tatsumi because his whole thing is it's infectious to watch because while his um, his managing style during games is always about studying the teams, looking for weaknesses, and finding the best moment to exploit it, and then keep momentum going. He likes to talk about like momentum of the game a lot. But, like, his approach to coaching, like, during practice and stuff is kind of like a kid with Legos that he likes to break stuff, put it back together in weird ways, see what works, and if it doesn't, break it and try it again. <laughs> like, to the point where a lot of the players feel like, like, you can't just keep dicking us around. You have to give us actual instruction, give us, like, a long-term strategy. And it's like, I don't know what works yet. <laughs> I mean, Fair. Like, yeah, it's kind of going about like a dick bag, but I mean, isn't that kind of what coaching is? Yeah, finding out what's work, finding out what's work, work works best with a team, and then training them in that. Yeah, and uh, in terms of like the art, this is another one of those things where it's written and drawn by the same mangaka, and uh, as far as I can tell, uh, Masaya Sunamoto seems to only do soccer stuff. 
Because the thing before this he did is something called U31, which I'm not familiar with, but was also fairly critically acclaimed as a soccer manga. I just never read it. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Yeah, well, apparently, as opposed to this, which started running in 2007, it is still running. Um, That ran for like 30 chapters, maybe. (laughs) Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, um, (laughs) it's it's good. I mean, it's. I mean, I always kind of have to tall myself in somewhat when it comes to sports stuff because it's so easy to okay so he actually does do other sports stuff besides his first soccer thing was his first sports thing was something called u31 but i think he only does sports stuff because i'm looking at the rest of it and it's either tennis or strangely horse racing huh yeah okay that that is apparently a sport that people are into now. Yep. So yeah, um, if you want an actual underdog story versus all those people who kept saying Megalobox is one of the greatest underdog stories ever written, uh, read Giant Gilling. <laughs> oh, and I told I, I told it, I liked that when it came out, but. Even when I liked it, that was not the greatest of all there time. Was, ever. There are things I liked about it, but I, this okay. So I don't know if you get this this magazine up in Canada or not. But there's this magazine that still airs in the U.S. called um, Otaku USA, or I think, but I think it's Otaku Blank Country. I think it's just a USA where I get it. Um, and there was an article talking about uh, Megalobox in it, and one of the little editorial asides in it was basically saying. It, from the looks of things, they looked at the main character from the original Ashta no Joe and said, no, we can't sell this guy anymore. He's kind of an asshole. So we have to try to fix him as a character before we sell him again. Mm-hmm. And based on the description of him, uh, it, the character from uh, Ippo that he most reminds me of, that you are apparently supposed to heroicize and consider just like the greatest boxer ever, he's basically Takamura. <laughs> Just a big shitbag who occasionally has moments of, like, I am a good guy, but is also, like, super shitty. Basically, because, like, he gets drunk, he hits cops, (laughs) he gets aggressive with people outside of the ring. Oh, God. So, yeah, can you imagine, like, unironically rooting for Takamura as your hero? No. No, I cannot. (laughs) Again, it might just be from, it might just be like a, maybe it's a millennial thing, but I have a hard time rooting for guys who they see a dick and are like, oh, he's going to rape us because he's gay. You know, that old chestnut. Yeah, I just watched a review of Gantz where Thanks, they talk Gantz. about the episode, where they talk about the episode with the the homosexual black thug who wants to rape one of the main characters. Yeah, there was that. There was also just the time Gans jokingly called someone, just called someone gay, and then and then every guy put his ass to the wall because they thought he was going to rape him. Yeah. What? 
Where did that come from? Where did the idea that if you are gay, any open ass will do? Well, because and this is coming up a lot this week, unfortunately, as a discussion topic. But there's an idea that like sexual assault of men is treated as a joke, whereas a sexual assault of women, whereas sometimes it's in really bad series, it's treated as a joke. But most people consider that not to be worth making a joke over. But the whole, you know, I dropped the soap thing is still a joke that people make. Yeah, fuck. That was a joke on SpongeBob. Yeah. And I think people are starting to come around to the fact that this Me Too movement thing that, like, yeah, it happens more to women, but male sexual assault isn't funny just because it's happening to men. Yeah. And, th- and I think Japan, love with its love of crude jokes, made it even worse. Particularly, like, Hiroya Oku, who hates all people but loves boobs. Yeah. Okay. Like I heard that, that description of him in an anime review recently. Would you agree with that? That like he loves, he hates all people, but loves boobs. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like he hates everyone except for Inuyashiki. Inuyashiki's just like a straight up good guy. Yeah, well, isn't that because the main character Inuyashiki isn't a teenager? Yeah, just he's this fucking ninety-five. He's a sixty-five-year-old asshole who looks like he's ninety-seven. Yeah, which might be. Self-insert thing, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Might be one of those things where, like, Hiroya Oku goes around yelling at the kids today when he's not ogling chicks in their uniforms. Yeah, so... Uh, <clears throat> that's a that's a depressing thought. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so, actually, just going back to um, Giant Killing for a second. Yeah, what we were actually talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah, so... <laughs> Gantz derails there were some so, they, so, I'm on my anime list, and there were some comments left on the author's page. Okay. There's about one. <clears throat> you like there were there were there were a couple of them in 2012 that were like, you know, man, this thing's the fucking best best soccer anime ever, best manga series, is fucking awesome. Then nothing for like a nothing for like a few months, and then in 2013, some guys like, even though Giant Killing's really racist, it's still the best it's still, it's still the best soccer anime ever. Okay, yeah, I do know what they're talking about based on the chapter. I haven't read all the chapters, obviously, but based on the chapters I read, they had they've had a team come in <laughs> where um, it was a Japanese team with three South American players. I can't remember. I, I'm saying South American not to be racist, but because I can't remember which country they brought them in from. I think one was Brazilian, but I know they're not all Brazilian, so I'm trying to afo- avoid saying the wrong country. Yeah. But they're like played up as stereotypes, and like they're treated as like arrogant, don't play the game or work well with other players. Things and there's like certain things that they do that the that the that the manga calls out as being because they are from so and so South American countries. Yeah, and yeah, that's a little racist, I'll admit. But compared to some other stuff I've seen, I guess it's just not as offensive as I've grown used to. Remember Eye Shield Twenty One? Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that just one of the teams, the coach was just a the coach was just a super racist. Yeah, or how the series itself was super racist with its like ancient Egypt theme for one of the teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the teams was just, the, I think they were called like the Pharaohs or something or the Sphinxes. And I think the fucking didn't, didn't the captain of that team actually wear like a fucking yeah. Pharaoh headdress. Yeah. And also the 
beard thing. Yeah. Anyway, back to these comments. Yeah, it was just like, just like fucking best series ever, best series ever, best series ever, best series ever. And then from this year, stop producing giant killing. It's terrible. I, I'm again. I haven't read every chapter that's out. Maybe the racism gets worse as it goes into like international teams. I hope that's not the case, but I want to read a little bit more before I make that conclusion myself. But I would be sad if that was the case. But no, like it. Like the thing, the thing, the guy saying giant killing is terrible was not the guy who was saying it was racist. Okay. Yeah, the guy who said it was racist, like, yeah, it's kind of racist, but it's still the fucking best series ever, man. I'm not going to say best series ever, but I like it a lot. I mean, to be fair, I have a low standard when it comes to soccer series Mm -hmm. because for some reason in Japan, there are a lot of really bad soccer series. (laughs) Maybe because soccer is so prevalent there, so that's easier to have like badly written soccer series that still sell. Like, I mean, the worst one I always come back to is the night in the area where a boy gets his brother's heart in a transplant and inherits his soccer abilities. What? I've talked with you about this one before on the show. I know it. It starts with there are two brothers. One is a professional soccer player. They are both in a bad traffic accident and both are dead but one is brain dead and the other had his heart skewered by like those those lengths of rebar you put in concrete so they put the brain dead brother's heart in the chest bursted brother's body and now he's inherited his older brother's soccer abilities yeah i don't remember that yeah and i need the to read main this. characters the main character's girlfriend uh is also a professional soccer player in like the women's league, but she for a while keeps showing up to play soccer with him wearing an alien mask because she, for some reason doesn't want him to know how good she is at soccer. That series ended last year. Hmm. It ran from 26. It ran from 2006 to 2017. Well, I'm glad it ended. And there's a spinoff series that takes place. I think before, for it about the brother I suppose he's a more interesting character from what I can remember they just killed him too fast yeah I think the... they actually have a uh, a old Ben Luke moment or two in the series also but I can't remember <laughs> yeah it's a night in the area guy den and Oko early days which apparently is worse than Night in the Area based on the My Anime List score. Anyway. Moving on, I guess. What else have we got, Bertie? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I, I can still recommend you at least check out Giant Killing. I'll just say that before I move on. Uh, okay. So, okay. da, da, da. all right. So, one or two other series I that are new this year, this season. That I guess I should talk about one. Um, this has been a manga for a while that I I've read a chapter or two, but I never could get into it. And I'm not sure you would get into it either, given what it's about. Uh, so, you might have seen a series advertised this season called Grand Blue Dreaming. I actually haven't, now. 
Okay. Uh, the manga, I think, is just called Grand Blue. I, d- I think that's like a bad translation from whatever the title is in Japanese. I would have to check. but um, Check it now. It's a comedy manga about like a diving club in Japan in college. And it's kind of like a... It's like a raunchy, like, 80s American college movie, but in Japan. Okay. And it is it is one of those series where all of the characters are idiots, male or female. They're all idiots. They're just idiots in different ways. Okay. And, like, the animation is over the top. The characters fight over the dumbest things. Like, there's this one character who keeps trying to get sympathy for the fact that he mar- that he's about to marry his stalker, and they're, they, he keeps trying to get them to get help him get out of it, but then he brags about how much more sex he's having than them. So they keep losing all sympathy for him and just let him marry his stalker. Wait, what? That That's fucked. Yeah. Like I said, idiots. That is so fucked. Or like how... Um, the main character, who's, I guess, the guy we're supposed to be following most of the time, um, he's, relatively speaking, the most normal. He still has, like, I don't know how else to describe it. He gives an ass lecture. Like a terrible lecture or a lecture about asses? A lecture about asses. Like, just walks up on the TED Talk stage, has the PowerPoint, and then it's just asses? Yeah, basically. Like, he explains what they look for in an ass, why, what kind of swimsuits give bring out the best proportions of an ass what it is about women that give them a great ass well this just sounds great it's not my thing <laughs> yeah so um looking at it uh so grand blue the japanese name for it uh going off the romanized pronunciation or whatever it is um grand blue okay go so i guess it is just grand blue because that's uh yeah, I mean, they're, that's, according, to, that's according to this thing, there's a diving shop called Grand Blue. Yeah, the left, yeah, that is the the reason for the title, that the the shop that the main character is working at slash diving from to, uh, recreation, recreation is called Grand Blue, and it's owned by his uh, cousin, I think. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a bunch of real, it's, I mean, if you've seen one college, ra- uh, raunchy college movie, Ever, you know most of what's going to happen in this and most of the jokes. It's just with a slightly more Japanese bent. So, Animal House, but anime. Yeah, kind of. And if that's not your thing, then I can't see any reason why you would watch this either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's see, two more things, and then I'll get a couple more things, and I'll get to the big thing. Okay, so last new thing, uh, Angle Noise. This is the series that I was the most interested in watching uh, at the start of the season because uh, I don't know if you've noticed watching like uh, video game discussions and stuff, Dead Man, but there's a lot of talk about um, pre Sengoku era Japan in like media this year. 
I don't know dick about Japanese history. Okay. Uh, have you seen reference to a video game called Ghost of Tsushima? Uh, yeah, Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, um, that's the Sucker Punch game, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. That game looks really cool yeah. at E3. And, yeah, and that's one of four uh, slice and dice games involving Japanese samurai in some way. But uh, Tsushima is an interesting reference because it's covering the same period of history as uh, this series, which takes place in the late 13th century versus what most samurai stuff that uh, Japan likes to talk about is, which is during the Tokugawa regime, which is from like 1640 to 1870. So significantly earlier. And the main draw of this series is a basically a one versus a thousand scenario because this is a tiny island off the coast of Hiroshima, basically, that um, had to fend off 900 Mongol ships. So, 300 but Japanese? Um, yeah, kind of. But uh, not super racist. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Frank Miller, you yeah. fucking chode. Yeah, but basically a, bu- a bunch of characters who were indicted for minor crimes are sent to the island of Tsushima by the current government in Japan, which is not even like the government of like all Japan, but like a p- portion of it to defend the island against the Mongol invaders because they're facing uh, a good nine to 10,000 troops. No, 90,000 to 100,000 troops. It's a slight difference. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was forgetting how many troops were on each ship. Sorry. Yeah, like 900 ships, about uh, roughly uh, a 1,000 roughly per ship because there's a like i mean, don't i don't know if you've ever seen a junk ship but junk ships are huge yeah they can carry a lot of people they mongols took that from the chinese but um so yeah uh, this is and this is like i don't know how much you know about world history but this is like grandson of genghis khan kubla khan's big attempt to take japan that japan doesn't talk about as much anymore because it's not as much of the glorious history because in this case this is the one they lost. Like, uh, the Mongols tried to invade twice. The second, the first time they were caught off guard, and that's this time. And while they, a couple of noble, heroic soldiers fought them long enough to delay it so that it was not a successful campaign, the Japanese were still caught off guard and the invasion got to the actual main island. It just was so weakened by that point it couldn't sustain it. And sustaining a naval invasion back in the 13th century was kind of unsustainable without effective supply lines. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and so amongst the characters that were sent to defend the island by the the government include uh a former general of the shogunate's army who like most generals in most shoguns armies grew to grew uh disinterested in following orders because he lost that fealty like what's weird is japan is all about fealty but then are they constantly tell stories about heroes who have lost the desire to to show fealty to a lord (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah kind of 
Yeah, among the other characters are like a a merchant who knows who mapped most of the shipping lanes between China and the tip of Japan where this is taking place, and a guy who I'm just going to call Killer Croc for two reasons. One, uh, three reasons. One, he's huge. Three, he has sharp pointed teeth. Three, he literally does the the Killer Croc meme joke from Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> it was a big rock. It was. And he threw it at him. <laughs> Took his head off. <laughs> so it's like a one hand like baseball pitch kind of thing? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I figured. He bats but fourth, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, as he's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, his response after we, everything about this guy screams Killer Croc because when you first see him, when uh, someone cuts his bounds enough so that he can use the strength in his arms, rather than pull himself free of the bonds, he just pulls the mast of the boat out because he's tied to it. <laughs> it's like you could have just pulled the bonds. Eh, that's that's slower. Then I'll just take the mask with me. You guys won't be needing it anymore, right? I know we're in a storm that sinks ships, but we don't need a mast. Yeah, in a storm, wouldn't a mast be a hindrance because that's where the sails are? <sighs> I mean, it only makes sense when you think about it. But so, yeah, this little team of people are sent along with, like, the local government on Tsushima, which is not much. It's like maybe one to 200 people uh, have to defend against several hundred thousand Mongol troops. And that's the premise. And for the most part, it looks good. Uh, it's just, I think a lot of people have pointed this out and it's an annoying problem. Uh, would you watch an anime through like a crumpled thin sheet of paper, dead man. Didn't we already do that with Boogie Pop Phantom? That, that was not quite the same. That was like, uh, everything was like smudged and like blurry, like ignoring the color filter. So more wax paper than regular paper. Yeah. So like on this case, everything looks normal and well-designed, but someone put a thin sheet of orange, uh, wax paper over the screen and you have to watch everything through it to the point where creases on the screen move like it's like some kind of applied extra filter yeah that's weird yeah i don't know why they chose to do that because the rest of their design work is fine and there's there's a badass chinese versus japanese uh sword fight on the beach in the first episode which involved a lot of beheading and stabbing as most sword fights do i'm assuming yeah, sure. So yeah, um, I'm gonna watch some more of this in case I've heard middling things about it going forward. I've only watched a couple episodes, but I'm gonna watch a little bit more to see if it uh, pulls itself together because this is the kind of thing I go in for. So what's it called again? Uh, Angolmoi. A G N A N G O L M O I S. Okay, I tried looking it up, and all I got was a character from Frog Sensei or whatever. Sergeant Frog, that's okay. what it was. Yeah. Uh, well, I can spell it out for you later. But, um, okay, so two things left and then the big thing. So, Oh, it's one word, okay. In, 
Yeah, it's one word. Sorry, I should have made that clear. Yeah, I was putting it in uh, those two words, which is where, which is why I got the Sergeant Frog character. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so time for bad puns. Yay! In Spectre, but Spectre is spelled S P E C T R E. Okay. So, this is a series that's weird to me because it's so blasé about everything to the point where a 17-year-old girl with a fake eye and a, and only one leg uh, walks up to a car- to a 20-year-old guy in college and says, "Excuse me, I heard that you've broken up with your long-time girlfriend. Would you consider me as a replacement?" <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And he asks, on what basis do you do you assume that we would be a good couple? It's like, I know everything about you because all the nurses that visit with you when you visit your sister over the past six years have told me. It's like, so much for patient confidentiality. It's like, it usually doesn't apply to siblings. It's like, Shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, probably, yeah. Just... Yeah, I just kind of feeling like that should be. That's a problem. Yeah. But anyway, um, it, the main character uh, is not really. It, the other, the male character is not really in the mood to. Is not really super keen about starting a relationship with anyone again, considering that the reason uh, his previous one ended is because his old girlfriend is scared of him. Because when a kappa showed up and bit his hand off, it grew back. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And most... Okay, so the other big setup thing that I have to establish is that the term inspector from the title is in reference to the fact that the one-eyed... One leg girl I mentioned, uh, basically got like a horror version of a Ghibli thing, where she was whisked away by a bunch of spirits who said, "Do you want to become our god of wisdom?" And she was like, "Okay, sure." It's like, "Cool, we're gonna rip out your eye and your leg, and now you can communicate with our god." Sure. <laughs> so, and because of that, she's annoyingly precocious in a lot of ways. I mean, I know she's 17 and a lot of characters that age act precocious anyway, but it's to the point where, like I said, she approaches a guy who she's only technically spoken to maybe twice and said, excuse me, I notice you have broken up with your previous girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah, that's not precocious. That's just fucking crazy. But I don't know what else, how else to describe it. Because, like, she's not insane because she has logical, in, to her mind, reasons for un- understanding all of this. She's just not good at the whole normal human communication thing. Like, to the point where in her later volume, when she's actually forced to interact with his ex because she's a cop when they're invest- when, who's investigating accidents related to a case she's working on, she's like, oh, crap, why did I save his ex? Like, this is not good. This can only lead to one of those annoying reuniting and rekindling the romance scenarios. This is bad. I was like, what? what is this? 
That's the beginning of a horror series right there. Yeah. You kill the ex, you put her in like a wine barrel or something, and then all of a sudden every wine that you every think of wine you drink has human body parts in it, and then you're all of a sudden you're in a Junji Ito story. Yeah, probably. But um so because this uh girl is the communicator with spirits, uh, a lot of spirits are telling her to stay away from the guy she has a crush on because he scares them. Uh for reasons that are not entirely his fault, because um, his family were crazy, uh, because they discovered uh, if you eat the f- they d- this uh, family's whole thing was if you eat the flesh of certain demons or spirits, uh, you supposedly could intake their powers. And this one spirit, which is like a a human faced goat, supposedly if you fi- if you and consume the flesh of this thing, it will allow you to see the future. But uh, apparently whenever one of these monsters sees the future, it then immediately dies after saying what the future will be. So it's not useful for like long-term predictions. I'm just going to say, I lost the thread of this like three minutes ago. That's fine. I have trouble finding the thread. I mean, the the... the the second volume of this series goes into full-on meta-territory with the idea that um, writing up urban legends about a spirit create what the spirit's powers are. Wasn't that a plot point in Supernatural? Yeah. Several times, actually. Also, isn't that Barney? Hmm? Just, these real as long as you make believe them. That's true for a lot of things. I'm not going to call it anything specifically, but you, if you want to say Barney just for a joke, then fine. Yeah, but that's what I am here for. Yeah, I am the joke. I don't boy. know. It's just, this gets too complicated too quickly because the reason the main character is immortal and can see the future is because he was forced to uh, without well not again, he was without his knowledge he was he was made to eat the flesh of a mermaid and the human-faced goat thing because the head of his family was like, hey, if we um, if we can't survive uh, predicting the future with just the goat thing, maybe we have to give ourselves something that allows us to regenerate. So... So mermaids? Yeah, apparently mermaids can regenerate. Yeah, that well-known part of the lore. Yeah. Unless unless that was a part of the lore, and in, and in universe, they just went, hey, we got this mermaid. No, it's it how mermaids can do this. It appears it appears to be part of the lore. I don't know that much about the the lore of mermaids. So, but anyway, uh, when this te- uh, uh, it, but even this process is not one hundred percent effective because they've tried this dozens of times, and the only person who survived the process is the main male character. Of course, and even then. Um, I will say this, the the story does a good job in universe of explaining why the dialogue between the two male the two main characters is awkward and stilted. Because on the one hand, you have a girl who is wise beyond her years and knows unknowable things because of her connection with God with spirits, and on the other hand, you have a guy who is so mint physically and emotionally numb because of course, like anyone who finds out that they have a immortal kid, they want to test how immortal. So they kept trying to kill him in different ways, naturally, to see if he was immortal. To the point where he doesn't really feel anything anymore. 
Ah, yes. <laughs> that old chestnut. So because of that, both characters talk like robots with no emotions, even if they're trying to convey emotional states to each other. <laughs> and on some level, it's kind of funny to watch this happen, but on the other, I'm like, okay, you can't. I'm starting to see this like you're just writing reasons in the story to cover up the fact that you can't write conceivably interesting dialogue. Yeah, like the joke only goes so far. Yeah. Before you just realize, oh, this is a crutch. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't mean to talk about this for as long as I did because it's not that interesting to talk about. It's <laughs> just I read about it and. It's weird, and I wanted to talk about it briefly. <laughs> Alrighty then. Okay, so let's see. Is there anything else? Um, we did talk about um, Goblin Slayer Brand New Day, right? Yes, we did. Okay. Alright, so this is the thing uh, Caveman wants me to rant about. Um, Godzilla Netflix Episode 2. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> that bad? Not that bad, that frustrating. Okay. <laughs> because, um, uh, okay, so I think I, I didn't, if I didn't make this clear the last time I talked about this series, it's written by an old nemesis of mine, Urobuchi Gen. And Urobuchi Gen's tendency to have the occasional interesting sci fi concept is undercut by the fact that he cannot write interesting characters worth a damn. Or in this case, um, he has the Star Trek problem of, only his alien characters are interesting and motivated personas, not the actual humans who are supposed to be following. Alrighty. So, this episode has the, the I guess episode's the wrong word because it's an hour and 40 minute movie. Um, this has a lot of, like, part two problems in that it's very slow it's a lot of like catching up because the first one did way too much action and not explaining anything. So they have to spend most of, they have to spend most of an hour trying to explain the world in this and then spend another 20 minutes, uh, having characters try to establish motivations and characterization, which they completely skipped in the first one and maybe save 10 minutes for action scenes. Okay. And, well, normally that would be okay if the action scenes are great, but just to remind you, Dead Man, this is animated by Polygon Pictures. Uh, I just saw a thing that they're working on a Star Wars series. Yeah, they're working on the new Star Wars Resistance thing. That cut my anticipation for that series significantly. Stop giving Polygon money! <sighs> okay, so... I don't hate that. I don't dislike this for the same reason a lot of Godzilla fans do, because a lot of Godzilla fans threw a shit fit that Mechagodzilla is technically in it, but he's never a giant robot that fights Godzilla. He is, um, and this was one of the interesting concepts that the series is built on. When Godzilla was uh, in the before the start of the first episode, they were trying to build Godzilla, but he was destroyed in Godzilla's initial destruction of the planet. But apparently, uh, when they were building Mechagodzilla, they were doing it out of this like hyper-intelligent nanometal. So, when they destroyed Godzilla, uh, the Mechagodzilla metal built a city refinery around itself to 
build more nanometal and spread itself so that it could potentially eventually fight Godzilla. Uh-huh. It never took on the... It, and it used, like, the uh, central processing unit from the head of the Mechagodzilla, which was severed during the uh, initial attack to kind of control its actions until our team shows up and starts kind of, like, organizing the functions of what they're calling Mechagodzilla City because it's essentially just like a giant refinery city of smart metal uh, to build defenses to fight Godzilla. Uh-huh. And um, the central conflict, if you can call it that, of this is the idea that... Um, so the... I don't know how many Godzilla movies you've watched outside the ones we riffed. Uh, but, those. Um, okay. And Godzilla 2014. All right. Well, in one of the uh, in one of the uh, original series, the one, the one where Mechagodzilla first showed up, um, there is a, a group of aliens that were tr- trying to create him to fight Godzilla so that they could conquer the planet themselves because their own planet was falling into a black hole. And a group of the main party of our main characters appears to be members of that race, and they were planning... And they are so impressed by what the the metal they used to build Mechagodzilla has done in their absence that their idea is we should just submit to the Mechagodzilla and let it destroy Godzilla because clearly it knows what to do better than any individual human could. So if we surrender our individual consciousness and merge with the metal, then we can become part of the the entity that will destroy Godzilla. So they want to create the Borg? Yeah. To fight Godzilla? Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) That is like nine different flavors of a terrible idea. Yeah. And I would normally agree that it's a terrible idea, but a problem with the writing of this is that the only human character with any noticeable built-up motivation and characterization is edgelord douchebag Haro, whose whole thing in the first movie was i want to kill godzilla and his whole thing and this is i want to kill godzilla but at what cost (laughs) it sucks that i have to keep falling back on this because this is my only real this is my only real entry point into godzilla but fucking half century war man yeah much better written, much more compelling story. Yeah, they fucking anytime but that also, any, anytime I, that any look, Godzilla character is like, I need to kill Godzilla. I'm like, all right, is your motivation anything at all, like in terms of quality or content, the same as in Half Century War? If not, then get the fuck out of here. Yeah, because even ignoring like that main character from Half Century War, Godzilla Half Century War developed a whole bunch of human characters that could represent different personalities and mindsets. Yeah. Fuck. And that's the big problem with anything Urobuchi Gen writes is that he's so not interested in writing like normal human characters that when he writes human characters, they're often emotionless robots. And the only compelling characters he writes are like sociopaths or aliens. Well, this guy just sounds so like a great because, writer. I can see why you like him so much, Birdie. Yeah. So because of that, the con- the cl- the climax, which should be interesting because it involves um, Godzilla, a, a mountain-sized Godzilla being trapped in a giant ravine 
um, with a electromagnetic literal um, harpoon stuck in his in his back, slowly like melting his insides. Uh, at the end of it, that it's apparently what's there. The conflict at the last point is that Haro doesn't want to merge with the nanometal to use the battle machine he's been using to fight Godzilla because if he does, but if he doesn't fight, uh, if he doesn't merge with the nanometal, he won't survive the process to deal the final blow. So at which point Godzilla will just go supernova and destroy Mechagodzilla City. But because Haro doesn't want to give up his humanity to kill Godzilla or let the his side piece die, he chooses to just stop the nanometal and prevent Mechagodzilla from taking over the planet after it killed Godzilla. Yay. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, I blocked out. It was too boring. Yeah, that's... Oh, right, they're also moth people. It's fucking... Honestly, one of the more interesting aspects of it, because it's not clear whether or not they are humans who were affected by... Uh, close presence to Mothra and developed earth uh, telep- telepathy and like hive mind consciousness and stuff like that because of their presence from Mothra or if they're like like Mothra's descendants who grew humanoid but that's one of the more interesting parts because that's are actually you know characters with motivations and not the same boring shit I've been telling you about for the last 10 minutes yeah and I'm just going to assume it's some kind of like donkey dragon thing just what Mothra no, no, the moth people. There's like a donkey dragon thing where some dude fucked Mothra. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? And of course, but and surprising no one, uh, the third episode is the, the the setup, the like end credit stinger at the end of the third, the second episode set up to the last one is just like, hey, hey, Ghidra. Yeah, you guys like Ghidorah? Well, I mean, get ready, I mean, shitlords. The, we might not actually have any of Godzilla's nemeses in this series, considering Mechagodzilla was sold in this one and was only technically in it. <laughs> yeah, watch watch King Ghidorah show up and it's just three snakes tied together. Actually, speaking, yeah, of, speaking again, of all this, um, bit of a tangent, but whatever. It's out there. That new Godzilla King of Monsters trailer. Yeah, I guess you're going to talk about that with... Caveman on movies and TV. Yeah, we talk about that, but you are <sighs> as big a Godzilla fan, if not the bigger Godzilla fan, on this site. Compared to Caveman, you mean? Yeah. Or, yeah, probably. I don't know. Um, so let's hear your take on that because it is relevant. Yeah. Um, monsters look cool. I have no the fu- no fucking clue what the plot is. I'm pretty sure the plot is Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra team up to fight King Ghidorah. Maybe. But, like, the series of events that lead to all these monsters being woken up... Oh, I'm sorry. Titans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is a little unclear. It looks like um, Eleven from Stranger Things, her mom is crazy. And she wants to wipe out all of humanity using these monsters, I think. But I don't know. Yeah, I and all and somehow or other, uh, Charles dances in it because of course he is. <laughs> yeah, they need they need somebody with a weighty British accent to add fucking gravitas to the proceedings. Yeah, they probably they probably were really really patting themselves on the back saying, "Yeah, hey, hey, 
Let's get Charles Dance to say, long live the king. Yeah. Game of Thrones fans will love that. <laughs> well, it would be even better, and it'd be really dumb, but if just one guy in there, his cell phone rings, and it's the Attack on Titan theme song. Yeah. Also, are you afraid? Is uh, is I think that actress who play, plays Eleven, her name is Millie Bobby Brown. Is she getting cast as the psychic one, like typecast? Because from the trailer, it looks like she's the one who's going to have the psychic connection to Mothra. I don't know. Like, this is her first fucking film debut. This this is her film debut, and up until now, her only real thing has been. Eleven from Stranger Things, and then bit parts in terrible TV shows. Yeah. Which many actors have had bit parts in terrible TV shows, so that's not really here or there. Uh-huh. But it's, but, it's um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's the beginning of her career, yeah. so we don't know if she's been typecast yeah. yet. But there's a, there's a lot of details I kind of like, like the scene of Godzilla hibernating in, under a uh, iceberg that looked really cool. What looked like uh, Rodan exploding out of a volcano looks really cool because that's actually how, um, I don't know if this is deliberate reference or not, but that's actually how they discovered the original Rodan in like a cavern inside of an, a volcano that had been dormant but erupts. Uh-huh. He seems significantly bigger this time than last time we've seen him. but And of course, a lot of people have brought up like is there going to be anything left of humanity for humanity to rebuild after this fight because they see like entire cities just being flattened just by rodan flying over them yeah like like that's some fucking like nuclear test footage imagery right there whenever rodan flies by a city yeah and then there's like the giant lightning tornado i think that's in dc i couldn't tell specifically which is probably it's just, it's got to be Ghidra. I don't know what else it could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the plot description given out by Legendary and Warner Brothers. The new story okay. follows the heroic efforts of the cryptozoological agency Monarch as its members face off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. When these th- when these ancient superspecies thought to be myths rise again, they all vie for supremacy. Leaving humanity's very existence hanging in the balance. Yeah, so from the sounds of it, it's going to be the plot of um, Godzilla, uh, um, uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Because the plot of that one is that for like most of the movie, Godzilla and Ghidra are just tearing the shit out of each other and destroying parts of Japan. Until Ghidra shows up and starts wrecking more shit and Mothra has to say, Hey, 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 guys, bigger problem. And... Godzilla says something, and this is one of those moments that I kind of wish it was dubbed and not just we heard someone saying it, because the, in the dub, uh, the characters say, Godzilla, what's terrible language? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's By Mike, the way, it's... I kind of I, I want to do some more Godzilla riffs in preparation for that movie next year. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that with that new movie, it's uh, Michael Doherty directing, who I feel is a better trick director than trick or the treat. last guy. Pardon? Trick or treat. Yeah, trick or treat, motherfuckers. <laughs> and while I wasn't that big a fan of it, Krampus had some shit. Uh, yeah, Krampus, most of my problems with that were more with the script than with like the visual direction or the ingenuity on screen yeah the directing set design like all the action stuff that all the design for uh krampus krampus looks so fucking cool (laughs) sound design of that goddamn movie yeah it's like when he first shows up you just hear that fucking roar yep 
So yeah, him it's being the, so yeah, him being uh, the director of a Godzilla movie makes a lot more sense to me than Gareth Edwards. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm sure Legendary looked at it's like, hey, hey, this is a guy who's known for a movie called Monsters. He should direct our monster movie. What's the Monsters movie about? Oh, it's about humans watching found footage clips of monsters? Oh. Well, fuck. Oh, that might be a problem. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fine. We'll fix it in editing. Wait, he has power over editing too? Fuck! God damn it. We spent all this goddamn yeah. money designing this fucking CG thing to look like a dude in a suit. They cut away from anything interesting happening. What the fuck, man? Maybe maybe yeah. that's why they did this. Like they got they got a guy who could like direct monsters and action pretty well, threw in as many monsters as they could, and they're just gonna go like, all right, we're gonna have the anti this. And what it's gonna be is it's going to cut from people to monsters fighting. No reason. Yeah. Just that's what it's gonna be. Just like some dude hanging out having breakfast, Cal Chandler, just getting ready to give some Friday Night Light yeah. speech. Then smash cut to Rodan destroying a city. Yeah, I will say uh, if they're going with like classic bouts from the original Godzilla movies to pull from, uh, from the original series at this point, they've only got two or three left they could pull. One is, um, well, we one we know we're going to pull because they're setting up King Kong versus Godzilla yeah. in a later movie. Another, the other would be the other two would be um, destroy all monsters. Where all like a whole bunch of monsters get mind controlled, including Ghidra, and humanity has to find a way to stop the mind control to send all to send all the other Earth monsters against Ghidra. But I don't know if that's if they'd pull that one. The other one, of course, being Mecha Godzilla. Is Ghidorah that much of a threat? Like Ghidorah is the one is I he, always like. Ghidorah is the one that I see the most kind of touted as like the threat. Okay, so he is the one who has beaten Godzilla before in different scenarios, and he's also the the only one of only two or three monsters that have managed to significantly injure Godzilla. Like most of the others can't even hurt him. Like the three being um, Gigan, uh, Ghidra, and Mechagodzilla. Everyone else just kind of annoys him. So Ghidorah is the doomsday to the Godzilla Superman? Kind of, yeah. Like, I mean... Uh, like, the way I've heard... The Ghidra's uh, myth- mythology in the series has changed from time to time. Like, I think you watched the one where he was three dragon cats merged into a giant three-headed dragon by time travel. I don't think so. The one that just riffs, riffs on Terminator all the time? Yeah, I don't think so. Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. I'm gonna be 100 honest. I remember 30 percent of what we watched, and that 30 okay, percent mainly came from Final Wars. Final Wars, and you just saying no, we are never doing Godzilla's Revenge again. Oh, I blocked out the entirety of that movie. <laughs> then we should do it again, since you never. I will fight you. I will fly to New Orleans and beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I the trailer looks okay. I mean, I I'm probably going to see it in theaters because I'm a Godzilla fan, and it looks better than 2014 did, just based on the trailers. But I don't know. It's hard to tell at this point. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I I mean, you could. I mean, it's since it's on Netflix, you could. I guess you could watch Godzilla if you wanted to, Dead Man. But I think you'd actually probably fall asleep. 
Yeah, I'm good. I'm <sighs> okay. So enough stalling. Let's get to the the meat and the potatoes, meaty juices. So Goku Midnight Eye. <laughs> okay. So let me just give you a list of things that uh, told me that I was probably going to have fun watching this. One, uh, it was distributed in the United States originally by a company called Urban Vision, which I don't know if you know who they are, but basically they only trade in blood, bullets, and boobs. <laughs> Like, exclusively. Very nice. Um, it was dubbed by uh, Manga Entertainment UK. And um, I don't know if what you know about Manga Entertainment UK or, like, 90s dubs. But they're kind of infamous for two things. One, uh, British and Australian actors trying really hard to affect American accents. <laughs> and um, attempting to disguise uh, bland... Uh, scripts with overly sweary dubs. Very nice. Alright. So, Goku Midnight... Specifically this series, Goku Midnight Eye is a series of... is two 50-minute OVAs packaged as, like, a single movie on the DVD release. Oh, God. Fucking Christ. What's up? I Doing Google image search of Midnight Eye and I... What the fuck is the main character wearing? What uh, kind of wearing, outfit is that? What I, I was going to get to that. What I was going to describe it. But that, that's the thing. In my mind, I was saying, because in the series, he is a ex-cop private eye. But to me, he looks like he is a stripper whose costume is a ex-cop private eye. Yeah. Because like, he, specific, he wears a tie that looks like it's meant to be like held like a, a leash by a woman. He wears no undershirt, just a suit jacket. Yeah, he is he is slacks a like a suit jacket that sleeves are way too short on. Yeah, because eighties. Yeah. No shirt and a very thin tie. Yeah, not tied properly, just like kinda loosely tied around his neck, going down his the line of his chest. Yeah, you know. Cause they gotta fucking sell shit to masturbate to. Yeah. And if you looked up the image on the disc, you might have seen uh, a woman in front of him with no, pink hair. No, 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 yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> is she a motorcycle? I, um, she is a cyborg motorcycle uh, laser breath robo stripper. Yeah, I got, an Im- I got an image of the laser breath. Yeah. As... Some kind of stormtrooper is riding her. Yeah, okay. So it's hard to tell from that image, and you'd have to watch it on Amazon Prime to or some other way to watch it. But what you're seeing, and this is for the audiences and for Deadman, is you're seeing um, a midget henchman in robot armor riding a cyborg, laser-breath-breathing cyborg woman who has motorcycle handlebars built into her back. Yep, 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 yep. And she doesn't have wheels, so when he, like, revs the engine using the handlebars, she just runs like a cat. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll give you a minute. Oh, boy. This is fine. And to quote a line uh, that our main character says about said character in the dub, bitch has laser breath. Oh. And you want to know what was weird about, even weirder about that line, Deadman? It, it was who said it. Because I have more experience with this than you. I'm not used to manga UK dubs having actors I recognize. Oh, okay. Yeah, so who was it? Steve Blum. Mother bitch. <laughs> See, Deadman's not even that much of a voice actor guy, and even he knows who that is. <laughs> I'm getting more of a voice actor guy. It just takes me a while because there's a lot of them. Yeah, so just, it was so weird for me, because like because Steve Blum is the first thing you hear on this dub, and when I saw it was dubbed by Manga UK, I was like, okay, so is this like maybe better than most of the Manga UK dubs I've heard? I was yeah. like, no, it's just, it's it's Steve Blum, and then the rest of it is a typical Manga UK dub. <laughs> God. Like, bad British affecting, bad British actors affecting American accents, terrible, I think they actually do, um... What should we call it? Uh, shit. Um, uh, British slang instead of uh, like American curse words, like uh, oh, shove off, mate, you fucking wanker, lazy git. I'm sorry, slovenly git. You fucking crazy bird. <laughs> yeah. Or I think there's a lady. I don't know if it's in this or in something else dubbed by Manga UK, which this is like. I'm going to meet you at half eight. He's like, what the hell does that mean? I'm like, what? Is, that, is that 7.30? I think it's 7.30, but I don't know. Wouldn't it be 8.30? Is it half past eight or half till eight? I don't know. Yeah, what the fuck? That's a bullshit like, right there. Yeah. Okay, so I've been talking so much about the dub and the insanity of the images I've been showing Dead Man that I haven't actually tried to explain the plot. Whew. Okay. There, there's a plot. Two of them. I thought this was just like a heavy metal. I thought this was like a video produced by heavy metal. No, there's a plot. Oh, goody. Dumb plot, but it's plot. So the first episode, uh, Private Eye Goku, stripper Private Eye Goku, uh, finds out that a lot of his uh, former cop buddies have been committing suicide or killing their off their fellow officers and then committing suicide. So he teams up with the side piece he never managed to fuck while he was a cop to try to infiltrate the uh, the clear like Mega Man style fortress of the obvious bad guy because eighties <laughs> infiltrate. No, he actually does actually infiltrate it for about thirty seconds because he like go he swims up the gas uh, refill uh, refueling tube for the main building. <laughs> Fueling tube. Yeah. Talk about uh, sex. But this doesn't last. Yeah, I, I, I know. For the this folks doesn't home, last might, long. Like, I'm a, no offense to our audience, but some of you might be a bit slow. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't last long because uh, he's eventually caught by a uh, biker laser bitch and a strong guy who's a, who thought, who for no reason whatsoever, as far as I can tell, uh, instead of just bashing his head in through a wind, through a, like a metal surface, uh, there's like a piano in the basement 
So he starts bashing his head individually through the sets of keys. Like slams it down, then drags across, or slam down, slam down, slam down, and he slam down, slam down, slam down until all the keys are knocked out. Well, that's just being a dick. <laughs> Bad guy. <laughs> Someone could have used that piano. You could have used that piano. Yeah, who knows? Does it play a tune, uh, or does it just like get, or is it just like discordant chords that get that get progressively higher in note? Discordant chords. <laughs> oh man, if I were recutting this, it would just be playing chopsticks or something. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so eventually the brutally beaten det- private eye is brought before um, our det- our obvious bad guy who is petting the motorcycle bitch. Uh, and he's told, you have nothing on me. This is harassment. I'm not going to kill you, but you might kill yourself. Does this motorcycle bitch have a personality or is she just like a fucking cat? She's just like a cat. Okay, because... It'd be really weird, just like Linda, the motorcycle bitch, hanging out next to him, and then he just starts petting her. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I know I do this, but I'm still an employee here. Yeah. I deserve respect, so, damn it. So after getting drugged, our private eye wakes up in his car on the highway. Uh, doesn't know how he got there, but knows he needs to get home. So he starts driving until he sees a naked woman with peacock feathers coming out of her ass. Man, these butt plugs are getting weird. Who hypnotizes him with to kind of to with, with the peacock feathers coming out of her ass? Ah, <laughs> uh, was the co-author of this series cocaine? Because <laughs> this seems like his work. <laughs> Let me continue. Um. Okay, so to free himself from the mind control, he stabs out his own eye and manages to regain control enough to escape his car as it's going over, going over off the highway. I feel like there's, I feel like there are steps you can take before your own eye. Like, I don't know, your leg. Like the, the just, the justification in the, in the series is that, uh, as long as he is like looking at it with both eyes, he can't force himself to do anything. So the most he can, he's using what will he has to try to cut the effect by taking out one of his eyes. If you have enough, if you have enough will to move your hand, just cover your eyes. Yeah, but that wouldn't be, you know, ultra violent enough. When he rolls out of the car, have one of his eyes hit one of the fucking dividers in the highway or something. There is, There are things you can do. There are steps you can take beforehand that don't involve cutting out your own eye. Yeah. Fucking Jesus Christ Superman. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, you don't need to break his neck in the direction of the family. <laughs> that family is dead. Yeah. But um, I get the impression that uh, it's going to be hard to blame this writer for like having a bad track record because as far as I can tell, he's worked on nothing else. And this was his manga that he adapted. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I, I, guess, I guess coming soon. 
Well, it'll at least look good, Deadman, because this is another thing I forgot to mention. It's animated by Madhouse. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay, and the plot I've described so far covers the first 20 minutes of the 50-minute of the OVA. So, um, then um, a guy we never see gives our main detective a cyber eye, which is linked into every computer on the planet. Naturally. And an extendo pole. Also, just calling back, um, Boogie Pop Phantom was also Madhouse. Uh, Fair enough. (laughs) But this was uh, late 80s Madhouse when they had way too much money on their hands. Well, you know half that money was cocaine money. (laughs) Yeah. It's the 80s. Cocaine was everywhere. It's directed by... uh, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who um, directed a lot of shit in the 80s and 90s, but I'd have to, I don't think, I don't get the impression, you, you might have heard of Wicked City, but uh, I don't know. You might, you, Dead Man, like a lot of this might be before your anime watching time, so a lot of it probably won't mean anything to you, so that's kind of pointless to mention him. But anyway, um, so our main character wakes up with a cyber eye and a infinite extendo spike. Yeah, so Goku now has the Nuebo and fucking Cave Carson cybernetic guy. Basically, yes. To the and it, I really don't get how this pole works because it looks like it's just a a um like a like a quarter staff that like can extend infinitely because there seems to be no limit to how high up he can go or how far he can make it shoot. And it also seems to have, like, bullet strength when he shoots it because it shoots through armor. Very nice. And hey, also, fun fact, uh, the director of the series also directed the Highlander anime. Okay, then. Because there was a Highlander anime. Yeah. About Colin McLeod. Uh, so many, So many immortals amongst the McLeods. They really should have noticed sooner. Yeah, like you'd think. Un- <laughs> unless unless everybody except Connor just fucking sucked and died immediately. Uh, but anyway, um, so after that shit, uh, he goes looking for his side piece, who he assumes since he got attacked, she probably got attacked. And yeah, she gets she was got uh, drugged, and and this is another one of those like video game logic things where they apparently thought he was dead, but they kept setting up traps everywhere. On the off chance that he escaped. (laughs) (sighs) Like the strong man who beat him up in the lounge is just hanging out at the, just waiting at the apartment of this woman. And he has a head full of poisonous mosquitoes. Naturally. And a bitch with, uh, Peacock Ass Feather shows up again, but because he has a robot eye, it no longer works on him, so she j- he just shoots her heart out with his extendo spike. Oh, what the crap is this? Late 80s ultraviolence, motherfucker. I, we, we need to move on. I can't. We only covered half of it. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll cover all of it eventually. You know we will, right. motherfucker. You knew the second you fucking saw this, this was going to be a thing where I said coming soon. 
Don't fucking play me. <laughs> but I didn't even get to talk about the Robo Dragons. <laughs> That's fine. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. So this was madness, and I had a lot of fun. <laughs> And I think Dead Man's getting like a like a contact high just from hearing me talk about it. <laughs> Once we finish up the spite watching of Full Metal Panic, a Full Metal fucking Fomofu or whatever the fuck it is next, is this? <laughs> <sighs> so Dead Man, uh, you bring things back to normal. Yeah. So the creator of Shokugeki no Soma did a One Piece chapter. Oh yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, that was a weird clashing of art styles. <laughs> yeah, so it was called Shokugeki no Sanji. Naturally. Yeah. And yeah, it was that guy's. It was that artist and get whatever his fucking name is. His super intense, more realistic looking art style. Trying to draw One Piece characters. And to be fair, it worked for Sanji, because Sanji is one of the more normal-looking dudes in that series. And Birdie just dropped. And he's back. I think. You cut out there for a second. Yeah, yeah, you disconnected. Sorry, the signal was getting really bad. Yeah, so um Yeah, so uh with with Sanji, uh, he looks he looks the most fine in this guy's art style. Okay. Because he is one of the more human-looking human characters. Yeah. But then we see the rest of the restaurant. Yeah, including some fat bitch who's the antagonist who, you know, Sanji has to beat with food. Yeah. She has to have her food gasm. Yeah. Um, the two, I guess, sous, uh, like sub chefs, sub Sanji chefs. Um, I can't remember their names. Yeah, I think the, one of them was Connie. Uh, yeah. Uh, sous chef, the term, that's just the term for someone who's kind of assisting the head chef in the kitchen the most. Yeah. And that's Sanji. Cause Sanji says, Hey, I'm the sous chef here. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's not the guy who owns the restaurant. That's red shoes. Yep. Red legs F. Who we also see, who looks, I guess, fine. He kind of looks like Aaron's grandpa. Yeah. Because just... By the way, and, and we're not going to... I'm going to let you finish this first, but we are going to talk about how weird Chuck Ekinosoma's gotten, right? Oh, after this, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so... Yeah, it was just like a... It was a, it was a fun chapter that... Yeah. That uh, supposedly actually took place, because... When it ends, we see the yeah. We see we're the, cutting to the to the the Mary the Mary Go show up. Yeah, this took place seconds before Luffy and the gang show Krieg up. And Luffy showed up. Yeah. Take so take that with you. Uh, in the meanwhile, the fuck happened to Soma? It ended yeah. and then didn't. Yeah, and now the plot seems to be. Uh, mirror ma- evil mirror match for Arina's pussy. Yeah, fucking Soma Black shows up. Yeah, and 
But, Selma's like mostly keeping his cool throughout all this until he says, "I'm gonna make, I'm gonna beat you, and then make Arina love my food." It's like, whoa, no, no, her tongue is mine. Fuck, and that's actually the argument they're having. It's like, I'm gonna marry her, and then her tongue will be mine. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, phrasing, please. <laughs> and then Arina shows up and is obviously very confused. Yeah, but let's and, let's rewind she, a bit. But she walks in. Yeah, she walks in, and uh, okay, well, yeah, she walks in on them saying. I'm going to marry her and then her tongue will be mine. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, God tongue. Yeah. But let's rewind a bit to that first the, ending. What should, have been the, what should have been the ending of the series. Yeah. So, where... they go into the, so they go into the regiment cuisine. Everything's fucking going. Everything's going fucking baller. Uh, they're fighting against Arina's dad. And then Arina, with the help of Soma, cooks a fucking dope ass dish. And then they win. And everything gets returned the way it was. Except... Soma is now the first chair, the first seat of the Elite Ten, yeah. and Arena is the head of the school. The head of the school, just straight up. And Megami is the tenth seat. And I was like, you know what? Good for her. Good for her. Yeah, she deserves that. Yeah, and she's actually from uh, her stuff. Post the ending was the stuff I kind of liked the most because she's the one who like took advantage of all of the resources and connections that being the tenth seat in the Elite Ten gave her to do what she wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just she she's fucking great. Megami is no matter how shitty this series got, Megami's been pretty all right throughout. Yeah, like I don't I don't usually do the waifu thing, but I would marry I would I would waifu uh, uh her. <laughs> Honestly, one of the I like her like as much as they're pushing the idea that someone's going to end up with Arena, I was always under the impression that he makes more sense with Megami than with Arena, but you know, that's like a healthy relationship versus like a combative bitchy relationship, which is what the actual relationship would be. Yeah, it's it's an anime thing. Yeah. No relationship is ever healthy. It's just, hey, let's get into the most combative relationship we can. Yep. Okay, actually, that that's not entirely fair. Uh, what it is, actually, is they set up a relationship at the very, very beginning of the series before any characters have developed at all. Yeah. And then as things naturally progress, they're like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. Well, I'm on this road now. Might as well go all the way. But anyway, uh, yeah, so they, they're they the 10th seat, and I figured, like, all right, so yeah, we got that, and then the next chapter will be a wrap-up. It'll just be like, hey, this is them after they graduated or whatever. They have moved on. They're passing things on to a new generation or fucking who gives a dick. And then and then it will cut and then it will cut to the end of Arena fucking cooking up food in Soma's family diner. Yeah. And then roll credits. Nope. First, I got to solve some food crimes. Yeah. And then have like. Back uh, back room Shokugekis. <laughs> Yeah, which uh, I talked about this before about like the whole. This this like, is starting. To, okay, I don't know about you. But the the thing that I most describe this is starting to get into Yu Gi Oh territory. Yeah, that's where that's like, what I was gonna the, say. Like the the core out the core aspect that the series is built on only fits in a certain scenario, but because it's popular, they do it everywhere, and it's starting to get ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like, like when, when we initially started talking about Soma, um, I brought up the idea of like the Yu Gi Oh Toriko spectrum. Yeah. Of just, like, when something is so insane, it is either, like, it's it's either, like, our world, but with this one aspect changed, or the entire world is changed. And with Soma, it was 
And with Soma, it was very much like, hey, the Shokugeki and stuff only matters to this group of people because they're fucking insane. Yeah. And as long as it was kept within the the confines of a super rich, hyper elite school full of snobs, it kind of fit. Yeah. But they get to this where some jackass shows up at Japanese hotels, challenges the chef to a Shokugeki. And then the chef is like, and the chef is like, yes, I agree to these terms. And then follows through with those terms upon losing a cooking fight and does not think at any point, wait, I own this place. Get the fuck out. Yeah. There's never a call security moment. <laughs> yeah. So instead, it is up to these two high school students to show up, uh, Megami to cook him a Ratatouille-style meal uh, to yeah. to make him realize the error of his ways, at which point he reveals that he is part of an evil food criminal organization that the rest Run also gets taken by Black Soma. Yeah, which the rest of it also gets taken out by Shokugeki's by high school students, I think. Yeah, including Soma's dad, which... Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and so they're all like, hey, who's fucking running this thing? And he's like, oh, yeah, it was fucking whatever. It was Saiba. And everybody's like, oh, my God, it's my dude. So he calls his dad. He's like, oh, no, that's my other kid. Like, oh, that's my thing. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And so then we have fucking Soma Black showing up. He's like, hey, I'm a new teacher here. Fuck all of you. I win. Meet Soma. Then challenges him to a Shokugeki. For Arena. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't even want the seat. Just, hey, I'm going to fight you for he the honor of saying I beat you. <laughs> yeah, like, fucking, he's all, her god tongue is the only thing that could fucking, my food is fucking love. And he also is just beating home the fucking idea of the series. Yeah. Like, I was it... Was it actually ever said or was it just very much implied? Like, I don't remember. I think, I think like in the, I think like in like one of the early chapters, Soma's dad, like kind of internal monologue explaining his philosophy about cooking. It was like, you can only be like a truly great cook when you've met someone you love who you want to eat, who you want to have eat your food. I think he might've, he might've discussed that somewhat with Soma, but that, that element of it didn't take, but like. No, now now they're just like hammer subtlety jackhammer. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when the fucking it's like when the spice boy called him food Jesus. Yeah, just that was always the subtext, but now they're making it actual text. Yeah, like like the audience didn't already get that. Yeah, and now we seem to be in the final stretch where Soma, who has achieved everything that he wanted to. Except for beating his dad, yeah. Now has and to like, have a cook- there's, there's, and like there's no there's no there's nothing higher for him as a student to top at this point unless he just like goes around being the best everywhere like his dad did. So the only plot they could come up with up with is Negasoma. Yeah. And then I'm going to assume that after he beats him, Aaron is like, "Hey, fucking yeah, you won." So get me, and then. She's going to be like, oh, God, we're going to fuck or whatever. And then someone's like, all right, eat my food and say it's good, you bitch. <laughs> to uproarious canned laughter, at which point she'll go, I'll never call your food good, you fucking pleb bitch. And then, and then fade to black. Yeah, that sounds too realistic. For That sounds too plausible for it not to be probably what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> or failing that, they just go the fucking bleach route and 
ends, they win. Flash forward 10 years where they have just fucking ass loads of kids. Yeah. At the very least, uh, the relationship between them is not as toxic as, like, the Inuyasha relationship, and that was actually supposed to be a romance. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, that... That whole fucking thing. There's lots of abuse both ways. Yeah. And then, oh, I love you. And the other relationship in that where it's just, oh, the guy I'm into is a sexual predator. Yeah. He'd be great with kids. Oh, uh, he like the the justification for their relationship is he's a sexual predator who settled. <laughs> oh God, I devoted way too much time to watching Inuyasha. Me too. Like, I used to be fifteen. Like it was especially bad for me because I think I might have talked about this in the show before, but it's been a while. But how it worked in how it worked uh, like on the channel I was watching Inuyasha. Because we didn't have the other channels where Inuyasha was on. What it would do is it would play like a chunk of episodes and then restart. Yeah, you, you did mention this. Yeah, just get like 15 episodes in, then back to episode one. They get to 30 yeah. episodes in, then back to episode one. Yeah, that's still not as bad as me, dead man. Oh, how'd you do then? Well, because you have just a time waste. I have money waste. Because here's a thought for you. I bought individual four-episode discs of Inuyasha all the way up through the end of season three and starting into season four before I gave up. Oh, God, that must have been like $1,000. Yeah. That is so sad. Also, I don't know if anybody can hear it, but my roommates are screaming outside because for some reason they hang out in the common area all the time. Even though they have rooms where their computers are. Yeah. So, yeah, uh... Inuyasha sucks. Soma really needs to, like what? Why can't? Why does Soma get to go on long after anyone stopped caring? But Robot X Laser Beam gets canceled early because it wasn't Kuroko, and people like Kuroko. But if it's not Kuroko, people won't care about it because it's not Kuroko. <sighs> Fucking welcome to the world of manga. World of marketing. Ah. <sighs> uh. Anyway, no, talk about it, something else. I feel then. like it is more a manga thing because, like, close to analog comics over here. Writers and artists fucking make new shit and then pass it off all the time. And, like, very rarely do people, like, do, like, like writers are like, hey, I wrote this thing and then I finished it. Then we moved on to a new thing. And then very rarely do people go, like, oh, that thing's not the old thing. Fuck you. Well, I think, um, a big, I don't know, it, there's probably some of it in, in the U.S., but a big difference between Western and Japanese comics is that we don't really have popularity polls anymore. Yeah. Like, we have sales, but we don't have, like, it, like, particularly Jump stuff is still really dependent on what's ranking best in the popularity polls amongst the readership that we should keep it around. I don't feel like we really have an equivalent to that in Western comics, really. Yeah, because we don't really because we because with with Western comics we could just look at the numbers. Yeah, like how many of these were ordered versus how many were returned? Boom! This is a good comic. Well, good. <laughs> I'm talking about I'm talking from a marketing perspective. Fair enough. <laughs> 
quality wise, fuck, man. Anywho, moving right along. Uh, let's talk about Skeleton Soldier next. Okay, I have no idea what this is. So, um, the full title, I think, is Skeleton Soldier Who Couldn't Protect the Dungeon. So. Okay. So it's about a skeleton. He is a just a regular old skeleton in a fantasy RPG world. Uh, he was the servant of a of a succubus who was like the head of a dungeon, and okay. his job was to protect the dungeon and her. He failed, and then died, or was destroyed, and then he woke up in the time he was resurrected, like back in time, and he got skills like so. And so it just turned into a situation where every time he dies, he respawns to a certain point and he where he gets new skills and levels up basically and just it's kind of a re-zero thing. But a bit okay. more powerful. And so yeah, the, the idea of it is just we follow the skeleton as he tries to get back to being as he tries to get back to being the servant of the succubus. While also trying and usually failing to protect the people around him. Like one of the first things he does is like, all right, I need to get better at protecting stuff. So, hey, I'm going to protect my fucking, I'm going to protect the woman who resurrected me. This necromancer. And then she dies. So he dies. Then he respawns. Then she dies again. And so on and so on. Until he reaches the next, until he reaches the next checkpoint. And then she dies. And so he can't, so he can't respawn to a point where he can save her. So he gets a new friend. Then she dies. And then he dies. And then he responds. That's basically the thing. It is just what is just seeing this skeleton get progressively more powerful as he tries and usually fails to protect people. It is pretty alright. Okay. I'm mainly reading it because I as I said before, I like different fantasy stuff. And so yeah. having the story be about a fucking skeleton warrior. I kind of dig that. Uh, the writing is fine for the most part. Um, like skeleton. The it's a lot of internal monologue from the pardon. Did you read the new exterminator? Um, I am in the process of reading it as we're recording. Okay. Cause I, <laughs> Because I just noticed it came out halfway through recording this. Fair enough. Like, writing-wise, it is it is decently written. Like, it's nothing super terrible. None of the characters have been... Well, none of the characters that we have... That, we, that we're supposed to like have been that terrible. Uh, they, they do... Uh, the bad guys that we've come across so far have all been, like, relatively cartoonishly evil. Like one of the more recent villains is the leader of a is the leader of the town guard that they're in, and he has a snake tattoo on his neck and slicked back gray hair, and he feeds people to giant spiders. You know, like you do. But the weirdest thing with it with this is the artwork, because this is this is the uh, the art in this thing is a. Mixture of what looks like traditional 2D hand-drawn stuff as well as CG models. But in manga. 
So the people, okay. so the people, they look drawn like normal. But then you look at the skeleton, and the skeleton has he looks like a CG model. He looks like a three D model with just the shading on him and the way that like the way that you could you can you could see the contours of his skull a lot better than you can see the contours of a person's face. Which is really weird. It does give him a this otherworldly feel to him, which I guess was what was the was what the artist was going for because he's a fucking skeleton. Okay. And that's kind of the most interesting thing about it. Visually. Like the the, the rest of the artwork is fine. Like nothing too spectacular, but nothing too terrible. The most distinct thing about it is the fact that it is that the skeleton looks like a fucking computer computer rendered model that was then just kind of dropped into this, which is something. Yeah, skeleton soldier. It is. It's all right. You want to check it out? Check it out. It's fine. Yeah. Moving on from there. I read a couple of these kind of things because I'm a fucking whore. Just days, Kyle. I'll check it out. Oh, man. don't worry. It's not just you. <laughs> so, I found some new ones too. <laughs> so, do you want to hear about the? Do you want to hear about the offbeat one or the reverse one? Um, just give me the titles of both of them in case I've read either one. Then, I'll, then I'll tell you. Uh, okay. I wrote down part of the title for this thing. Let me just uh, double check what the full title of it is. Yeah, so uh, Goodbye Isekai Tensei. And okay, I was a sword when I reincarnated. Yeah, I don't know either of those. Alrighty. So I guess let's go with the self-explanatory one then. I was a sword when I reincarnated. It's about a guy who reincarnates as a sword. Okay. Yeah, uh, this just regular old fucker. Uh, just some dude, he probably got killed by truck chain or whatever. And then when he woke up, he was a magic sword. The sword had like, the sword has his own skills and stuff like magic abilities and whatever. And he used those to fly around and just kind of get more and more powerful. Just fighting monsters, eating, eating their magic crystals and shit. And just gaining skills over and over again, leveling up as he went. Then he accidentally got stuck in ground that's absorbed mana. So he couldn't fly anymore. And was stuck there for months. Until one day, a slave truck came by, carrying a bunch of different slaves, including a cat lady. Actually, sorry, a cat girl. We need to go for that demo. Sure. Yeah, she was a slave. Uh, they She eventually got freed and, well, got away and found the sword. Pulling out of the ground... Um, the sword activated this skill sharing ability where she got access to every single one of his abilities. Thus becoming an instant murder machine. So then it is about this sword, who she calls Master, and this cat girl who he names Fran, as they just progress through the world trying to get Fran stronger so that she can stand on her own two feet one day. Okay. I like it. Like, it doesn't do a whole lot different from other East Kai stuff. It is still just, like, stupid overpowered main character, all other shit. Uh, but 
there's a bit more personality to it. Like, like the sword is actually very expressive as a sword because it has a face on it. Like the like the hilt and the handguard of the sword have this uh have this design inlaid into it that looks like a fucking face. And so the sword is able to get really expressive. Um, Fran is like manufactured adorable because she's a tiny cat girl. But then she also is like stone cold murder. Which, I don't know. Uh, and, the, and the way they're playing their relationship is with a character looking like this, you would expect a bit more of a disgusting route to go with their relationship because it's an isekai story and she has cat ears so somebody wants to fuck it but they seem to be going for more of a like comedy father-daughter relationship with them which I can appreciate that that's something I don't see a lot in isekai so seeing a comedy seeing a comedy father-daughter relationship between a cat lady and a sword I find that novel Yeah, they don't they don't get a whole lot into a lot of the um the 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 East stuff is more tied to Fran than the actual sword because nobody believes that because nobody's like, oh, a sentient sword, that must be the Oh, like a girl with a magic sword. The sword must be the source of her power. It's just no, she's just fucking dope. And yeah, it's from there it's just Isekai. Just Isekai stuff happens. They join an adventurer's guild. They go and fight a monster. They're way too that's way too over level for them, but defeat it solo because they're fucking dope as hell. Some guys are like, Gur, you're a child. Don't come in here talking that shit. And so she kills them. Or actually, no, she doesn't kill him. She beats the fuck out of him, cuts off his legs and arm. And then the guild and then the receptionist at the guild is like, hey, I'm gonna call the cops on you fuckers. See, it's fine. It's got a cute central relationship on it that you don't see a lot in these kind of stuff, so that's mainly what's carrying it for me. Goodbye Isekai Tensei is a reverse Isekai. So it well, kind of reverse Isekai. It is Okay, it's more pre Isekai, because we got our main guy who is living fucking normal life, whatever. Oh, I want to be fancy, blah, blah, blah. Then one day a princess comes in and it's like, hey, guess what? You're the fucking hero of my kingdom. You got to come over and help us out. And the way to do that is murder. So the main antagonist is what would be a main love interest in the story. A main waifu because she wants to murder the main character. For the purposes of having him reincarnate into the fantasy world. Meanwhile, the demon... You know the demon army is also in the main world, is in the real world, and is like, yeah, we need to stop this from happening. If he comes over, we're fucked. So yeah, it's a pretty obvious just role reversal thing, but so far it's fun enough. At, I guess your dog disagree. Who knows. Yeah, I, I, it's Isekai, man. I can only say so much. Just fuck me. God damn it. 
yeah, I I don't know what else to say. They're just they're isekai. They're fine. They do enough to differentiate themselves from other isekai stuff by having one be a sword and two be a reverse thing. But other than that, isekai tropes stand. So let's move on from that to kind of a weird one. Until your bones rot. So okay, until your title's intriguing. Yeah, so Until Your Bones Rot is a drama mystery series. So we have a cast of five characters. Uh, I will be looking up their names now because I'm fucking sick and tired of not remembering any characters' goddamn names. Uh, that is it, yes. So, characters, characters, characters. There are no characters listed here. Fuck me. God damn it. Okay, there's got to be other stuff over here. Nope, no character's name there either. Fucking fantastic. Okay, fuck it. I'll just... Anyway. Yeah, so, five characters. Um, Main character boy... Uh, lesser girl, greater girl, uh, popular dude, and smart boy. That is what I shall call them. And by the way, the lesser and greater girl is not referencing like their importance in the story or anything. It is one of them is the one of them is the like more petite girl. One of them has tits. That is what I mean. So yeah, it's these group of kids. Um, main character boy is the is in the eyes of the people the least interesting one of them all because everyone else is like like the fucking lesser girl is oh she's fucking super smart and cute as hell. And the other one got fucking massive badonks. Popular boy is the god of the fucking universe or whatever. And smart boy used to be a goddamn thug who beat the fuck out of everybody, but then he went the Kanji Tatsumi route and dyed his hair black and got glasses. Yeah, and so they all hang they all hang out together. Um, nobody's really sure why these four superstars hang out with this little shitbag. Uh, but uh, turns out that five years previous, uh, they killed main character boy's dad. Yeah, when they were all 11, um, main character boy's dad was super abusive to him after his mom died. And so they, the, and so the five of them concocted and set out a plan and executed that plan to kill his dad. And they do. So then they take his body and go bury it up in a cave in the hills outside of one of their, uh, out, like, in, like out back of a shrine where they have like this yearly festival. And every year they go meet up with them. They, they'll meet up there, uh, dig him up again, take a piece of his bones, a piece of his skeleton, and then recite an oath saying that we will always be there for each other. And that's been the case for like five years. Then one day they go up, um, go up again. Like, like, the, like they, they've gone for their ritual, did the ritual thing, went down to the festival. And then a couple days later, popular boy uh, calls up and says, hey, we need to move the body. They are renovating this place and turning it into a fucking 
turning into like fucking whatever. But and so they will find the body if Condos you leave it there. or something. So they all head up there. Barn? Condos or something. Yeah, condos. Actually, it was condos. Yeah, it, it's it's always condos. That's the cliche answer. <laughs> yeah. So they go to go find the body, and the body is gone. And it's place is a cell phone. And they get a call on that cell phone, and there's a guy saying, Hey, fuckers, found your body. You need to work. You work for me now, fuckers. And then from there, the series is about these five kids, their relationships slowly falling apart and suspicion and tension growing between them as they try to figure out who the fuck the guy on the other end of the phone is as they get more and more worried about the cops finding the body and them them all going to jail. And it got a lot less interesting as I read it. Because it was just a lot of the same beats over and over again. Just, oh, this character is suspicious. Then they act out. And then they have this big emotional release with one of their buddies. And then things are fine for a little bit. And then that just keeps happening over and over again. As other relationships, they fucking go throughout. There's horrible trauma from the time they murdered somebody. Because, of course, there is. And the mystery is just starting to get so fucking labyrinthine that I am starting to get burnt out on it. Also, the cops only really became like an actual feature or like a factor in the plot after like 35 chapters or, or like you know, the cops only really became like a factor in the plot after most of the series has happened. Let me just double check. Okay. Let me just double check how long this fucking thing is. Da, 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 da. Until your bones rot. Yes, there are 83 chapters out right now. And I believe the I believe the cops only started really becoming a factor in chapter 80. Because up till now it has been it has been these kids dealing with shit, how they're going to deal with it. Meanwhile, the cops in the background are just kind of saying like, hey, things are happening and this is weird. And there's one cop who is just this fucking weird asshole who sees things that other people don't or whatever. It's that old fucking chestnut. And he doesn't reveal himself or actually say, hey, I've been investigating you and I'm working on the assumption that you guys did all this shit. Until very recently. And there's also the whole fucking plot with the phone and like the blackmailer and stuff because they find out who it is, maybe, find out that he killed himself. I mean, this is spoilers, but fucking who cares? And then it also turns out that one of their one of the members of that group was actually involved in the plot to begin with before somebody else hijacked his own plot. Because that condo shit never happened. That was just that was just some bullshit he made up to get everybody to go up there and fucking see that the body was gone. Okay. And then yeah, like every time it feels like we release really we reach some kind of resolution, they're like, nah, bitch. 
This is starting to feel like lost levels of convoluted. Yeah, like I understand that with with stories like this, you reach a point They're of resolution and then like you reach a point of resolution and then whoops, something else happened. But you you, you can only go drag so many out forever. Yeah, and you can only go so many layers deep. Like I can understand it if it was, hey, we reached the end of this. This yeah. was the blackmailer. This is all you this happened. Too deep. And you're just going derper. Pardon? You cut out there a bit. You go too, If you go too much deeper, it's just going derper. Yeah. Like, I, I understand it if it was like, all right, so we found out who the blackmailer was. That thing's resolved. And then the cops start coming in. But it's not. It's like, all right, so we got this thing with the blackmailer. Oh, then this level, and then this level. And they're fucking... They're fucking and they're like fucking severing body parts and disposing of bodies and shit. And all kinds of other weird fucking shit that just starts getting deeper and deeper and then the relationships start getting more and more weird and entangled and shit and fucking and fucking protagonist boy like had sex with both of the girls in the fucking series of course he did and I yeah I this all feels like melodrama and plot twists for the sake of melodrama and plot twists at this point yes sure so I yeah, I don't know. I read 83 chapters of it, and I think I'm done. Okay. So moving on from there, let's talk about Soul Catchers. Right. I I looked up the description of this. I didn't actually end up reading it. Yeah, and I say Soul Catchers like that because for some because reason... it has a weird S in a, in a parentheses or something? Yeah, there's a, there's a parentheses around the S in Soul Catchers. Yeah. So. Because fuck you. Yeah. So this is a... In massive quotes, sports series? Because it runs like a sports series. Like, it has it has your rival characters. It has, like, fucking comp- competitions. All that shit. There is... There's, like, him having to be accepted by the team and all that shit. And so it's about it's about band. Like I, I don't know I don't know the actual name of it, like I don't think it's orchestra band. It is just just kind of band. We got our main guy, his name is uh Kamine. He he can see people's hearts. Just to say he can see their emotions and their emotional state. And because he is a because he got this he had this ability when he was a child, he had very simple ideas of like, oh hey, you feel like this, so I do this and you'll feel better, right? Nope, because people are fucked and complicated, and so that kind of just made him section himself off and get away from people. Until one day, he saw some dude rocking out on the saxophone, and saw people's hearts change, and was like, oh fuck, that's dope. And the saxophone boy tracks him down. Uh, his name is uh, Tokisaka. Yeah, Tokisaka. Uh, he is a member of the school's band, and is like, "Hey, you can fucking do shit with people's emotions and whatever. Become the conductor of my band." And so he joins the band club and begins going down the path of becoming a conductor. 
because he, yeah, because in the logic of this in the logic of the show in the logic of the series I mean because he can see people's emotions he can know how to conduct the band properly to get the most emotional impact out of any performance sure okay then yeah I don't it's it's weird sounds like it and the other characters they've introduced as potential like rival characters have also been kind of weird. Like the one other guy we see who is a conductor, um, he instead of seeing emotions, he just sees color when he plays because it's all like synesthesia. Sure. And so when he conducts, it's like, oh, I got to see fucking rainbows and shit, dog. And then we got another girl who is the like I he think can like, go twice as high. Yeah, and they got another girl who's like I think like first chair flautist. And whenever there's good music or whatever, she tastes food. Any of them smell toast? Uh, I don't. We haven't gotten smell yet. Hmm. But yeah, and so the series is just about Kamine trying to become a good conductor as he uses his limited music knowledge, but knowledge of people's emotions and whatever to help solve his bandmates problems to be accepted by the band to become the conductor. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird, and music doesn't translate really well in manga. No, not to manga. I, I encountered that problem reading the Beck Mongolian Chop Squad manga yeah. after watching the anime. Yeah, great anime. Don't know how don't know how well it will work in the manga, because I've actually been the, too nervous the, to read it. Like, the storytelling is really good, and it tells a lot of stories that you missed out on from the anime since the anime cut off at kind of an awkward point. But, um, yeah, no, you'll never get an effect from the music that you'll get from watching the anime. Yeah. So, and, and with this being like, um, with this being like, you know, big fucking huge band with like fucking multiple sections and whatever, there is so much music that could potentially be happening that it's, that you never really get an idea of what kind of music, what kind of tempo, what kind of tone they're going for. Like unless yeah. you al- unless you already know the music that they're playing, is it this portrayed as like just a whole bunch of like music sounds and notes on screen, and you have no idea what it actually means? Um, it's actually closer to the way that Soma portrays food. Okay, so synesthesia effects, basically. Yeah, like like the first time we see it, it is. It is just music. Like, like it, it is actually, it is actually like you know the fucking bars. It, it is music. It is music notation wrapping around people's hearts and then making things happen to them. Other times, yeah, okay. but then as we get later, it's like, hey, I made a T Rex with my with my clarinet or whatever. Okay, that's getting into Futurama territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. With its music plays and the and the robo state saying you can't just have your audience your characters say how they feel that makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, and when he when he is conducting, uh, we will see like we'll see like you know some kind of visual representation of some emotion coming off of his conducting rod, but then also words written in there with him explaining all right, with him explaining like what the moves of him moving the stick mean. Like, like he'll move it up and then he'll say like, hey, 
fl- a flute's toned down, clarinets pick it up, drums go like change the tempo like this or whatever. And it's all just him trying to get fucking. It's, I don't know that much about music. Like, I love music, but I don't know that much about the actual mechanics of music. Like, ask me to fucking do scales or music theory or whatever. I can't do dick. I can barely even describe music when I listen to it. But with and and so with this, I don't know anything really. Like, I don't know. I don't know tone. I don't know the mood of the music they're going for. I don't know anything about that. It doesn't really portray it in the series because everybody, when they conduct, they feel the same. Like, like the big thing they have going forward with this of the conductor is like, oh yeah, they lead the band in this, this, whatever they set the mood. And so there's a bit where the two, where our two kind of bleedish characters, our two rival characters, they conduct the same piece. Starts out with starts out with our main starts out with our rival character who's like da, 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 and then things great and everybody's like yeah music whatever and then our other guy goes out he starts he starts doing the same motions like trying to copy him and then everybody's like oh god you're fucking it up so then he turns and faces the audience and then starts jumping and freaking the fuck out apparently playing the same piece and then everybody's like yeah okay this was better well, yeah they're great dude. And I, I don't get it. Okay. Yeah. It, this feel, it feels like this would work better as an anime, but given the popularity of it that I've seen around online, this will never get an anime. Oh, so no one's talking about it? Basically, yeah. Okay. Like it's, like it's middle, like looking at, looking at it, um, looking at reviews and everything, it is very middle of the road. Like it seems to, it seems to sit like a seven for a lot of people. Okay. Which, yeah, not bad, just not fucking setting the world on fire either. Yeah, yeah, not engaging an audience. Yeah, and with the most recent chapter there, with the most recent chapters that came out, they are going a weird direction with it. Because they introduced, because they just introduced a Kamine Black. Just a guy with the same power, but instead of, instead of him trying to make people feel better, he tries to get their heart to turn completely black. Because he of gets off on misery, I guess. Everything does the nega character thing. <laughs> yeah, because it's easy. It's just, hey, we have our main character. But what if he was an evil? It's the same reason there are 8 billion stories about Superman being evil. Yeah. Yes. Although I did notice um, a difference between how DC treats its main superhero team and Marvel treats its main superhero team. Most of the time... Marvel will just have its main superhero team like discordant and work against each other and break up, whereas DC will almost always just mind control them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I think it kind of goes back to their like intent with their things, like with you know, DC. Hey, here's you can look up to Marvel. Here's you can relate to with people you re- with people you can relate to. They have problems with others. The people you look up to that never happens. Yeah, Soul Catchers is just a... It's real middle of the road. You, you can just get... Okay. If you skip it, you won't miss out on much. But one thing you should definitely not skip, motherfucking King Golf. Right. I for, It's been so long since I've told you to read this, I forgot I wanted to talk about it. I read all of it. 
I've not read all of it. I read about first hundred chapters. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, fucking goddamn, it is really fucking good. Yeah, so... um, The main character is one of those intensely likable douchebags. Yeah. Because he's like a dickbag you can respect. Yeah. So... For those who who haven't heard our discussions about it previously, both Birdie and I really dug Robot Cross Laser Beam. Yes. It was a very engaging series with with a lot of really good characters that was doing some interesting things with golf. And then that got canceled. So then Birdie uh, messaged me one day and saying, hey, you ever heard of King Golf? Yeah, I just discovered it. Like I think, honestly, a couple of days after we recorded that episode where we were bemoaning the end of Robotics Laser Beam and I just discovered a golf manga, read a couple chapters and then messaged Deadman's like, hey, you need something to fill the void that Robot X Laser Beam left? This might help a little. Yeah. It's not as good, but... Yeah, so then I started reading it, and I got fucking hooked. Yeah, it's really good. I just I haven't finished getting caught up on it yet. Yeah, so uh, this one is about a guy named Sosuke Yuki. Yoki. Uh, he is He goes to a high school where it is the gang high school. Like, it is just delinquents and fights and all kinds of shit, and he is the tippy, and he is the top of the top. He is the dopest fight boy who ever lived. He's got... And fu- then one day he plays golf. Yeah, just... <laughs> just some fucking shitbag kid what? is like... Yeah, like the, thing, the thing that sparks it is... Is a person the, actually the, not afraid or impressed of him. Yeah, and then a dick... <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry, sorry, she... She did something stupid. Sorry. <laughs> that was too abrupt. Um, no, and then just besides the uh, elite golf player just suddenly getting super, like, just, like, not giving him even the time of day, then the dickbag golf coach, like, had get, challenges him to a pissing contest, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but then, yeah, so then he just kind of lines up and swings and hits the ball, and it's like, oh, that felt good. Yeah. And then decides to become the king of golf. Yeah, and then the coach is constantly like, you shitbag, you're not going to be any good at golf. So he keeps giving him like what he thinks are insane uh, training challenges to discourage him, at which point uh, Sosuke's friend is like, you don't know him, do you, you dumb bitch? Yeah, he, yeah, he, calls, him, he calls him like the uh, hat-wearing delinquent. Yeah. Because he he's just a... He, he looks like an imp. Yeah. Like he's he's like even by the standards of like smaller characters, he is so much tinier than everyone else. He is two and a half feet tall. Yeah, and he wears the and he wears his like giant fucking toque. And so yeah, he, yeah. Give him pointed ears. He is fucking Rumpelstiltskin. Yep. No, anyway, yeah. And so the challenges that he gives him is like, all right, so yeah, roll up this pe- roll up this newspaper, and then do a full swing without crunching it. So then he spends the entire night just doing it over and over and over again until he gets it. Because that's the kind of guy he is. You give him a challenge, he will not fucking back down. Yeah. And then, and yeah, then this he year- starts. Yeah, and then he, whenever he encounters a wall he needs to get over, uh, the coach sends him on some challenge like golfing with children or uh, caddying, I think. Yeah, that's the most or, recent like, chapter. Doing a, He's doing a, caddy. a driving challenge. 
yeah, just all kinds of shit like that. And it, it all works. It all works really well. I, I really dig Sosuke's character because he, like, like a lot of these, uh, with, like, with a lot of these, um, like sports, sports protagonist characters, it's a lot of just, hey, I love this game, so I'm going to be the best at it because of yay. But with, uh, but with fucking Sosuke, his personality from the jump was, I'm going to be the best at whatever I do. Like any, anything that I fucking care about, I am, I am the boss at it. So fuck all of you. Which, to be honest, is kind of refreshing. Like, like yeah, there, like yeah, there, cause there's something to be said about just like you know sportsmanship or whatever. But there's also something to be said about just domination. Yeah, and but also, I mean, like when you say like he's a bad sportsman, it's like okay, he's rude. No, no, I, I didn't say he was a bad sportsman. I said like sportsmanship is a is a point of it, but that's not his main thing. Like, yeah, when no, it, when it comes like to sports, he, he, he wants a competition because. Yeah, he wants to compete. He wants to beat people stronger than him. Like he wants to find opponents that are tough for him to beat and then crush them. Yeah. That's what he loves to do. Yeah, like in this series, uh, he has had one rematch with a character yet so far. Like when we we first met, we first meet this guy. Uh, he is when he first looks at Sosuke, he, his eyes just go blank, and then, and then all of a sudden he golfs like, "Oh, okay, you're you're interesting to me now." And that, and they go in and fight, and it is like Sosuke's one of his first real matches against somebody. Yeah. And at the beginning of it, he's just getting fucking stomped. But then, being a manga, over the course of that match, he gets progressively better to the point that he catches up and overtakes him. Yeah. Although I think my favorite example of him coming back for a win from a fight was again was in the uh, the gambling game he had against that one asshole. Yeah. He was teaching this because. Because like the, my favorite part of that is the last hole, because yeah, that, that's that's the, that's what it was all leading up to. Just every single fucking just they, he hit onto the green, got it super close. It's like hey, I'll give you a gimme, and they just kept doing it over and over and over again. Every time the money stacked, yeah, yeah to the point where not only like the, the player who was on the hook for like several hundred thousand U.S. dollars at that point was terrified. But like the kids were terrified, the coach was terrified. Yeah, just everybody was staring at this fucking guy who was going like suit, who was potentially like putting himself into a debt hole that he will never get out of, smiling like a fucking demon. Yep. But yeah, and so when he fights, when he fights that one guy, it is that guy was like, "Hey, I'm the perfect golfer. Everything is fucking great. I've been training in all these conditions. I am fucking awesome at everything." But then a slight breeze comes in and he fucks up because he's been because he's been be practicing in two perfect conditions. Yeah, or like uh, when he first gets back to regular golf after doing the driving competition, he's like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, yeah. So he beats him and he crushes that guy's spirit to the point where he is mainly now just playing golf out of just obligation to himself. Yeah, but then they get, but then they get into a fight, but then they get then do a rematch basically with a little four person pod. And Sosuke, just being him, manages to pull him out of his own funk. Yeah, because he, I mean, he, he likes destroying opponents, but he likes opponents that don't give up just because he destroyed them. Yeah, it's delinquent shit. Yeah, it's like, come back, I beat you once, but you might get lucky second time, come at me, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I will take, I'll take all you fuckers on. I'm the king, motherfucker. 
and yeah, art wise, um, it's standard. Like, there's some moments where it stands out, but there's not anything all that spectacular, really. Yeah, like it mainly it mainly stands out in design. Yeah, like Sosuke's design. The okay, some of the golf moments are kind of awesome. Oh yeah, like the like he he gets the the motion, the the wind, the moments that feel like they should fit. All of yeah, that like feels the driving like really competition is the stuff that really stands out to me. Yeah, of just driving every time every time he hits, just this this the thump getting uh, louder. The visualization of him getting out of his funk in that tournament. Yeah, a lot of that stuff kind of works. Yeah, this is just a this is a fucking rock solid sports series with a really interesting lead character. Yeah, and it's still ongoing. If anybody wants to check it out, I think it's 129, like 130 chapters in. Yeah, he's currently getting. If I recall correctly, I think he, in newer chapters he's getting currently bitched out by like an old lady who he's helping caddy. Yeah, yeah, he got yeah he got sent to a golf resort um to work with, work with some old goblin, and. Just trying to teach him the benefits of learning to caddy. Yeah. Because that, that's all fucking, that's, a lot of Sosuke's training is fucking wax on, wax off shit. Yeah. Which, I mean, that works for a reason. Yeah, it I does. Mean, it, and, and, you, and Sosuke is one of those characters who, if you explain the conceptually to him without him experiencing it for himself, he's going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, just he'll turn, he'll turn to his big lipped SD version. Yeah. I, I I don't know I don't know how to describe his like like his yeah his super deformed it's it's like some kind of like Super Mario like fish character the way his lips look <laughs> yeah like uh this might be something that might be stupid it might only be me but uh did you when you were a kid did anyone ever like show you the thing where you like curl your bottom lip down and stick your tongue up like so it looks like a top so it looks like a top lip yeah yeah basically that. Yeah, like a super ridiculous version of that. <laughs> yeah, King Golf, check it out. It's fucking really good. Ah, so that does what we're reading and watching then. On to news. So, first up. Uh, at Comic-Con this past week, uh, the president of Production IG USA announced that there will be a new two-season adaptation of Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. The ninth and, one, twelfth one, eighty thousandth one. Yeah, it's another one. And Dead Man will probably not like it because it's being it's uh, it's being adapted by Kinji Kamiyama, the guy who adapted Standalone Complex. Yeah. Which so, Dead Man was not really a fan of. Yeah, I'd like the movie better. I'm that asshole. But yeah, so uh, it'll be two season, two twelve episode seasons. Uh, the first season will be done by Kenji Kamiyama, who did Standalone Complex. Meanwhile, the second season will be directed by Shinji Aramaki, who did Appleseed. Yeah, both of which are Appleseed and Ghost in the Shell are both uh, Shiro Masamune series. Yeah, but uh, have you ever watched any of the Appleseed movies? I think one. Okay, there's like two or three. There's like two good ones. I've never watched any of the traditional. The problem is the. The old 2D animated ones that were made in like the late 80s, early 90s, I never got a chance to watch because they weren't readily available by the time I was watching anime. Uh-huh. But I've only seen the CG movies. Ugh. Yeah, I think one of them I watched was one of the CG movies. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Most, 100% of, most of the ones that are most of the ones that are widely available are the CG movies. 
Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that is happening. Um, at some point. Get more of that. Uh, a, yeah, there was no real date announcing any kind of like potential releases for this stuff. Yeah. And this news comes courtesy of the Nuke the Fridge Gaming YouTube channel. Sure, whatever. Yeah. Uh, then following that up, uh, on Twitter, the official Twitter account for Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans uh, t- tweeted out that there may be some continuation of the series coming. Okay. Getting more orphans. I really dug that first season, and from what I've heard, the second season does not hold up. I never got around to the second season either. I'm kind of scared based on what some people have said. Yeah, I mainly heard it from Alex from the Games Podcast, and he was just like, oh yeah, season two just fucking shits the bed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not the first time that that happened. Like, uh, again, the most famous example for me is, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Double O, where double uh, the first season of Double O kind of built itself on intrigue and suggested answers to questions, but... Then season two, they tried to answer those questions, and everyone was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) That was all the news. Uh, Slow news year, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's midsummer. I think we'll... Oh, um, a series I'm looking forward to that I'm calling dibs on for the fall, Deadman, just on the show. Um, uh, SSSS Gridman. Okay. S S S S Gridman is a adept, is a series from Subaraya Productions, the people who created Ultraman. Um, the S S S S in the states was known for a really dumb Power Rangers knockoff series called Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. <laughs> All words spelled with S. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. That. Yeah. You can have that. Yeah, as long as I get Goblin Slayer. Trigger. Yeah, no, you're going to get Goblin Slayer. But yeah, uh, it's directed by Trigger also. Nice. So yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. We'll be getting around to that when that fucking season comes out, I guess, a couple months. Yeah, it's like, I think October, probably. Yeah. yeah, from the looks of it, yeah, it's October. Yeah, we're going to... We're going to hold off on that until that actually happens. And until that actually happens, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for joining us. Ugh, we'll be back at some point with more of this shit. Uh, we'll also be getting the final two episodes of My First Girlfriend is a Gal up on the site soon. Finishing off our first Patreon oh. request. If you want to make us feel like killing ourselves, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com. Link in the sidebar. And yeah, fucking contribute if you want to. If you like what we're fucking doing around here, if you like seeing us scream and shit blood. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, until all that stuff, though, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. I'll see you guys next time. Good night.